Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions of the best snark built. And we are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burntorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts under the Burnt Orange Nation podcast. You can always subscribe there, wherever you found this, whether it's Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of your favorite podcasts, spots. We'd love to have you and your friends as a part of our Network. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by the NIT King himself, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you doing, bud? You know that that folks is a little example of what we call double entendre in the biz, but uh, you know I do love both the NIT tournament as well as plays on words with NIT as night, and that would be obviously exemplified in the night is dark and full of terrors, or the NIT is dark and full of terrors. We're just going to talk brackets and not really what happens in them, but more what we name them. Gerald, can you give the good folks what you named your bracket? Well, in in the spirit of cheering on Rick Barnes to win a game in the tournament, which, not a great decision on my part. I went watchers on the vol. It felt like the right move. That's fantastic. Um, I think we were challenged by our, our good friend uh, Raymond, your 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 uh, co-host of your nerd podcast, um, with with bracket uh, Morgallis, which is you know the uh, the Valor Morales is the you know um, all men must die from Game of Thrones, which Gerald responded beautifully with Watchers on the Vol. Um, I had some trouble. Uh, I, I ended up settling on what I think is a fantastic one, but it took me a minute to get there, and so I'm going to read the listeners um, because you know. It is my prerogative, as Bobby Brown said. A couple of my favorites here. Um, you've heard the NIT-themed ones. Um, you, you may not have heard Samuel Turney, the Tormund of Champions, um, Kleganing, excuse me, Kleganing off the rim. All I do is woon woon. Uh, are you ready for this? And that's Aria ready for this. Uh, a bracket has no name. Air Joras. Andal, the other brackets suck. And what we finally went with, of course... One Shining Mormont. Now, folks, you've already locked your brackets in, which is why I waited until this week to tell you, because I didn't want everyone across America stealing that. That's that's Sir Jorah uh, of the Grayscale Mormont. One Shining Mormont, as Luther Vandross would say. This is the nerdiest it hopefully gets for today. Uh, <laughs> Kyle and I are both elbows deep in our in our Game of Thrones prep. Uh, yeah. That's the season we're in right now. Re- rewatch season, baby. It is the rewatch season, Uh, but we're not here to talk about Game of Thrones. That's my other podcast. You'll hear Kyle on there here in a few weeks. Uh, We're going to do some fun things there, but we're here to talk about Texas sports. So Texas in the NIT doing, again, terrible terror things there. We'll talk about that. Uh, Texas baseball up and down week and probably because they were playing on the road. Spring practice, a couple of notes there. We've got some replies of Texas this week. We'll down the 40, and then we will always close it out with some bang the drum. So, Kyle, you you said it. The NIT is dark and full of terrors, and mm-hmm. that has proven the case with Texas as a two seed. So they won both games, guaranteed yeah. a winning season. I don't know how, but now they're guaranteed a winning season. They won their opening round game in front of dozens of fans. I think the final <laughs> count was 1,743. I think it was Grossly the actual. inflated. Actual count. They were counting pregnant ladies and uh, and big guys like my size is two, but that's fine. Uh, so Texas managed a huge first half and then had a bit of a second half downturn. Top South Dakota State, 79 to 73. And then 
doubling basically the attendance of the first game up to 3200 people big time they came out with a 78 to 76 overtime win over Xavier which if this was in the other tournament incredible game two teams that are used to playing <laughs> in the big dance they're now yeah. in the lesser dance this was an interesting week yeah we i mean i think i think we should start with the bunnies um you know it, we kind of said South Dakota State. Um, actually, we said San Diego State, and that was just on me because uh, we abbreviated, and, and neither of us really at that point cared enough about the NIT. But we're all in on the NIT's first and foremost Texas Longhorn podcast, also Europe's favorite basketball podcast covering the Texas Longhorns postseason. We are here to talk about the NIT. So it was a weird game. They, like you said, got out 19-0, and then had flashbacks to Baylor where a 19-point lead almost turned fatal uh, when they went behind. But um, there was one guy in particular, I think, who decided that he's not sure he's going to play any more meaningful basketball after this year and was going to get every uh, ounce and every drop out of it. And that was just Dylan. Dylan Costa Kostakowski, um, who 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 made Mike Dom look like the lesser, you know, weirdly unathletic giant white uh, big, um, and 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 kind of outdueled him um, when when Dom went off and and you know they held him scoreless for a long time, but he finally got going and showed why he's now the seventh all-time uh, highest scorer in NCAA history. But Osikowski, you know, manned up on a little defense, caused a t- two turnovers where he tried to take coast-to-coast. One, he got fouled and got two free throws. The other resulted in a beautiful, hilarious dunk. But he had 26 points. He 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 scored when he needed to. He played defense when he needed to. He willed them through kind of the lull. And, I mean, kudos to the kid. Set a new career high. Like, showed like he's not ready to be done playing. And, like, this tournament means something. Yeah, and I think Osikowski... He has been maligned by yours truly quite a bit. Mm. I have drugged him on several occasions, uh, and and rightfully so in my mind. But he was he was the big man on campus that game, and maybe maybe the key is only having uh, your freshman class in the in attendance. But he managed to put together and and like you said, he really did a great job defensively on on Dom. Now nobody has ever shut that guy down because yeah. he's an incredible scorer and he has played all four years doing so, but. The thing for me that was interesting about that game was Texas's ability to knock down the three-pointer. And yeah. I think that rises and falls with how dominant Dylan O was down low. I mean, 11 three-pointers uh, in that first half, which is just nuts. They were shooting 50% from the floor in that first half. Obviously, that shooting is going to dry up, but it didn't dry up much, and they rode that wave. Maybe it is the extra uh, footage on the yeah. three-point line that's making them. You know, they there were a lot of back iron threes this year, so maybe they just needed that extra that extra shooting space to to really hit those uh, those long knockdown shots. When we talk about the all-time greatest coaching performances, when Shaka cuts down the nets in Madison Square Garden, the NIT, and, and knows that. He intentionally tanked the end of the season to get his team at the proper three-point distance, which they offer only in the NIT and, again, FIBA International um, basketball rules. Uh, You know, you just have to look back, and I'm looking forward here, but at that point we'll look back and say, wow, give Shaka even more money and extend him by even more years because what a fantastic coaching decision to get him in here. I kid, but honestly, it has worked out well in both of our games. I mean, in in the first game they jacked up uh, by the dozen, it seemed like, three-point but actually had efficiency and that carried over pretty well into the second game and especially where you know 
South Dakota State was kind of a one to two man outfit. Um, Xavier just has some big, big bodies. They're the, the I believe, the twenty second tallest team in America, and uh, and without Jackson Haynes, they they had a very clear cut strategy, and that was just to be real big and make Texas have to look at them be big. Yeah, and it it paid off. I mean, fifty points in the paint is is just dumb, but Texas still managed to come out in front on the rebound tip. But I think uh, in that game and and really, honestly, in both games, uh, Courtney Ramey is emerging as like a leader for this team. Mm-hmm. 30 points o- over two games, and he came down with what? Uh, it was like seven or eight assists across the two games and, and four yep. or five rebounds, which is just like, where has that guy been all year? Like that's yeah. the, where has that guy been all year for a team that desperately needs scoring and he scored 13 and 17 in two games. Yeah. And in an overtime game, that's 45 minutes. He played 43 of them. So, I mean, he's, he's a guy who um, we talked about on this podcast is, is kind of maybe turning the corner and being the, the missing piece for this offense. Um, and then had some issues with, with coach smart. It seems like their personalities clash just a little bit. Again, we talked on this podcast about Ramey making that step up as a, as a man now in the college game, you know, you, to be a leader means something a little bit different than it does when you're with 15 to 18 year olds. This is just a little bit um, means a little bit more, something a little bit different. You don't just get to be the leader because you're inherently the best guy in the court. So maybe that's kind of clicking for him. Maybe he and Coach Smart are, are, are gelling. Um, though Shaka did say after the game, they were they were at each other's throat all week, but then came together on game night, um, which, you know, if it works, it works. But yeah, I mean, Ramey, like, like you said, the, the rebounding advantage only happened because guys like Ramey and Roach each had eight rebounds. You get your guards in there. That's how you combat uh, a, a matchup that you just really can't take advantage of um, size inside for Texas. Um, you, you, you have your other guys do it. And I think, you know, I think Ramey, if he continues this and, and he showed some flashes at getting in the paint, he's, we know he's a good shooter when he's on, um, but getting in the paint and, and same for Febris, actually, if those two guys um, can can take next year the next part of their game, which is finishing at the rim and kind of creating uh, more than just taking some taking spot up shots, then all of a sudden next year looks like a, a really, really good year, even though they're losing a couple of really valuable seniors. He's starting to show why he was a top 50 recruit. Yeah, And if he continues that progression, and I think if he and Shaka can get on the same page, I think it's a completely different different look next year. And I feel like Shaka and Ramey are kind of like my wife and I when we're about to go to church. Like there's some sort of tension on the drive. <laughs> we're both frustrated about something. And then we get there and we're like, oh, okay, things aren't as bad. We get out of the car and good things happen. And we're like, oh, okay, things aren't as bad. So maybe that's the situation that there's just some tension there for – for uh, to get to get in the way of what is greater on the horizon. So on the horizon, Texas is going to play the winner of Colorado Norfolk State, which is happening right now as we record. I'm going to be honest with you, Kyle and I did not want to wait for that game to end to record because it's going to be over at like 10 or 11:30 Central Time, and a brother has a day job. But Texas was also on the diamond, had an up and down week, so they split the midweek series with Arkansas one and one uh, kind of a bloodbath on Tuesday and then a comeback tale on Wednesday before heading on the road, the dreaded road to TCU and dropping their first series of big 12 play. Granted, there's only been two of them, one and two to TCU in a couple of heartbreaking fashion. So we'll start with the, the midweek series and that Tuesday game, man, Jack Neely got absolutely shelled. Like, there's no two ways around yeah. that. Like, that's the story of the game right there. 
Yeah, I mean, they just got beat. Not since the Stanford series have you seen Texas just get flat out whooped. And I think in that game, they they just got beat. There was no really like, oh, this could have gone different. I mean, there there were a couple plays uh, defensively. If they would have made it, you know, maybe you get a get a double play. Maybe you get a a you know get out with two outs and and you change something. But they, I mean, Arkansas was the better team as much as it pains me to say that. I I, I want to just note because we happen to play both of these teams uh, in the same week, and it's wild because these are two of the most loathsome fan bases in the country, but for opposite reasons. One shouts really loudly from their trailer park, and the other um, from the top of their, you know, sixth balcony, um, you know, in, in Fort Worth. Um, and and they're, they're equally just not my favorite people. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm on shredding for the wedding diet, but I'm definitely going to have some bacon just to, um, you know, to reminisce the next game when, when Arkansas uh, talked all the world's mess um, and then, and then you know, couldn't do any better than split a series um, for, you know, the apparently college baseball's greatest team that lost in the College World Series because they couldn't catch a pop-up in foul territory. But zero-time champion, Arkansas Razorback baseball. I don't, I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> that is like the opening bars of ether, Kyle, is what that felt like. Uh, yeah, so that they just Texas got beat and then Texas came out and put together a comeback, which is impressive. I think um, it seems like when Texas wins is when they field really well mm. and when the pitching is on. And that seems like a no brainer. It's probably like the no, uh, no, no crap Sherlock statement of the night. But like <laughs> you see when with all of the blown saves. Texas has higher error numbers and they have yeah. poor pitching, like pitching when the pitching is on. And I don't know how else to say this, like the bats seem to show up. And when the pitching's off, the bats decide to take a night off is really what it seems like. Well, in a lot of these games too, they've, they've been pitching duels where if you look at a box score, it looks like Texas may have hit well, but oftentimes they've, they've got them in gluts. You know, they'll get to the meat of their order just with the right matchup. And all of a sudden they'll put a crooked number. They might get four runs uh, and they might win that game four to three or whatever. They, they've had a couple of those where they've, they've been the team to score late and, and be the fly in someone else's Sunday. Um, but it's just not nearly as fun when it, when it happens to happens to Texas as it did a couple times against TCU. I mean, I think, no one was the better team in the game that Texas won. Both them and Arkansas looked like they didn't want to win. Arkansas had something like 35 walks or now nah, that's an exaggeration, but they walked a lot of Longhorns and, and Texas, I, I mean, like I said, wasn't the best team against Arkansas, but I think against TCU three games out of three, even though they only won one, they were the better team, you know, for 70%, if not more of that series. And that's the frustrating thing is when you walk away with only one win from that. Yeah, it was 14 walks, which is still a massive number. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thankfully, like, honestly, that's that's what made Texas win because the, the bats didn't want to come. You know, the, but you, those, those will happen. Those nights will come. Sometimes you have to get a little lucky. Sometimes you have to, you know, snag a, a, a crazy ball that just happened to get hit to you that, you know, if it goes through a gap, scores two runs. Sometimes you have to, you know, just have have some things fall your way like that. That's going to happen. Um, getting a lot of walks. That's great. You know, when the bats aren't working, go up there with a keen eye. We have uh, players who are tops in the conference and, and drawing walks. So, I mean, it's clearly something that we're prioritizing getting on base. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't call it completely a fluke, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, that's a lot of walks to take in. But like I said, against to move on to the next series against TCU, um, it just felt like our, our arms were on. I mean, the, the two of the, 
gems of you know the, this run, this crazy stretch of March, um, came in the first two games, and again they only won one of them. Bryce Heller was named the Big Twelve Pitcher of the Week for for going eight innings and seven Ks uh, in his. Sadly, no decision, uh, but but uh, falling to TCU three to two on Friday night, and then you come out and you get Blair Henley with a you know a six inning wonder, um, six inning six Ks, um, only one earned run uh, in the win. So I mean you have you have pitching there. You know that if you get the strong start, but again, it's it really hasn't been the starters. It's it's been the bullpen uh, of recent vintage. Yeah, those those stat lines are usually good enough to win. And then Fields, I don't know what was going on with Fields in that Friday night game. He was all like just, he, he looked like Rick Vaughn second week in a row without the glasses. <laughs> like that's what it looked like. It, he, th- these were his, what, first four at-bats was a walk, a wild pitch to put two in scoring position, a wild pitch to score one, and then gave up back-to-back singles. Yeah. Like, he just, he, he wasn't there. He wasn't on. And that'll happen. It's just tough. And it, you hate to see it when – your starter, your kind of Friday night ace, pitches an ace of a game. Like it's, mm. it's really hard to watch that when you have eight innings of shutout baseball and your closer comes in and just doesn't have it. It's really tough. Um, and if you know one or two of those pitches are on, I mean, there was some full count walks. There were you know high pitch count wild pitches. So if one or two of those pitches, like you say, go the other way, Texas wins this series two one, and the conversation is completely different. Oh, yeah, and it felt, you know, like just just over a year, actually, anniversary since Augie passed away. It felt like Augie was watching down smiling on that game if it wouldn't have turned at the end how it did. Uh, I mean, they, it was they basically took the lead with small ball and an incredible small ball. Duke, Duke Ellis uh, taken home on a double steal in the bottom of the eighth and then, you know, bunning and sacrifice flies to get him their second for a 2-0 lead in the ninth. They're like, OK, we got this. This is Texas baseball. We go out with a 2-0, maybe 2-1 at worst win. And, you know, we 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 get the series win tomorrow. You know, it just, it seemed like Augie ball. And then that's what makes it even more heartbreaking is when you have a guy who's been so on kind of fall apart a little bit uh, in, in that one. Um, like I said, they've redeemed it the next game. When you go out 13-1 and you get 10 ribbies from, you know, the meat of your lineup and Kennedy, Todd, and Zubia, like you're going to win win that game. It's real hard to lose that game, no matter what your fielding or pitching looks like. We could probably do it, but it's hard to lose that. So it all came down to Sunday and, and, you know, it, that that one kind of was the worst of the bunch for me just because I really thought, okay, we're going to get TCU. We'll take it here. We're clearly the better team. We'll keep our top 10 ranking uh, and we'll we'll get back, you know, get out of get out of this month. Because remember, this was this was the downhill of 17 games, 15 them, uh, 15 out of 17 against ranked teams. This was like, all right, you know, I'm on the road trip. It's the last leg like getting antsy because I know I'm going to get there. Like, it's almost over. I'm so tired of being in this car. You stink. We have no more snacks. I don't want to hear you talk about your relationship anymore. It's over. You just want to, you don't want to get in a wreck, you know, at exit 174 of 175. Like, it's, um, it just, I would have loved to, like you said, flip the narrative with a win on Sunday. Yeah, and and again, it comes down to that breakdown and relief. And I, and I don't know. I don't know how else to beat that that horse. It, it, it's Texas had a lead in the eighth, and then they gave up five runs. Like mm-hmm. you, you can't have your reliever come in and and get one out and give up four. Like that's that'll yeah. turn anything on its head. But it's not all doom and gloom for Texas. So this week they've got a midweek series uh, against Incarnate Word, which hopefully those should be uh, winnable games. And then 
weirdly enough, they're playing uh, Xavier again yeah. over the weekend for a three game series. But you mentioned that that tough stretch. I mean, on the front end, you and I were like, we're going to know what Texas is about coming mm-hmm. out of the series. Mm-hmm. And they went 10 and seven over that stretch. And really, yeah. they were on the cusp of, you know, 11 and 11 and six or even maybe 12 and five, because sure. there were a couple of games that they should have won in there that they didn't. So what do we know about this team now for just briefly? Like, what do we know about this team heading out of their toughest stretch of the year? Um, I mean, that's what 10 and seven over that stretch tells you is, is especially early in the season. Like we said, we're, they're going to find more consistency as young players age up. But 10 and seven over that tells me this is an Omaha. That's Omaha baseball. You're playing, you know, you can win and you feel like you should win against the best teams of the country on any day of the week. You're, you're, you're in that elite, you're a top 10 program. Um, I, the nice thing, you know, is, is I think, I think tech is certainly the better team out of tech and TCU. Again, I feel like they were the better team against TCU. The record doesn't show that that's true. Um, But I, I do think tech was the bigger challenge and they, they showed up for that. So now as they go into big 12, They've played two of probably the three toughest uh, Big 12 opponents. Um, so they, they have a little bit left to prove, but they can go on and just do the consistency thing where they know they're the better team and they come out and win as they go through the rest of Big 12, especially when you get you know, arguably the two toughest Big 12 teams right at the start and with a, a brutal out-of-conference schedule. So Texas is in the throes of spring practice. The players had a crazy, like, nine days off thanks to spring break they took friday practice and then a weekend and then a week and then a weekend and they're back in action so not a ton of news coming out of spring practice colin johnson devin duvernay and anthony cook all returned to practice in limited non-contact roles so they're all doing individual drills so good to see those guys back hopefully we'll get to see them in the spring game, I'm really excited to see what Anthony Cook and Colin Johnson do on the field against each other. It'll probably be what it ends up. But the big uh, news, I guess, the big news coming out, probably the biggest news coming out, uh, it was a report by 247sports.com. They're reporting that the running back rotation is a little bit different than what we thought it was going to B. So the running back rotation, Keontae Ingram, we knew he was going to be number one. But then Kyle's favorite, Kirko Grinds, Kirk Johnson, mm. number two on the depth chart, followed by freshman early enrollee Jordan Winnington, and bringing up the rear, Danny Young. So Herman talked about Ingram in his press conference today that Keontae Ingram put on a good 12 to 14 pounds. Not not a not a bad 12 to 14 pounds. Anytime I put on any pounds, it's always bad. Uh, but <laughs> he's also noted that he's seeing the plays develop better so going into this with the losses in the running back room Mm -hmm. and you know Darian Brown still recovering from a medical emergency what's your hope what's your thoughts what do you think this running back room is going to be able to contribute to a team that really needs to remain balanced on offense uh come fall ball I mean I think I think ceiling is that that Sam doesn't have to run as much but runs when he needs to effectively Keontae Ingram is an all big 12 performer but doesn't have to take a ton of hits. The receivers all get to eat with that that monster room, and and you get you know guys like Whittington, uh, the the ball and some explosive home run plays. The the older guys set themselves up for the NFL, and the younger guys set themselves up for a repeat Big Twelve championship run the following season. Um, you know this is 
ideal scenario I'm talking here. I think all those things are, you know, relatively doable. I think some combination of those things probably will happen. I mean, I think Keontae Ingram has that type of talent. I, you know, the, the depth has always been the, the issue, but him being a little bit beefier to take a couple more hits and, and just, you know, getting that vision that we talked about last year when we said, wow, look what he's doing as a true freshman. All right, now he has another year. This is the stuff we were talking about where you develop and you see it. He's he's always been slippery. Slippery as an eel trying to tackle him. Um, you know, getting a little bit more, you know, second yards after contact to him with a little more weight and getting an extra, you know, step of, of letting a play develop or hesitation of a step, I should say, letting a play develop. All of a sudden, you know, maybe his his five yards to carry becomes six yards to carry and that that makes a big difference or six and a half yards to carry and that makes a huge difference so I mean I think right at the top it's great news I think at the bottom is actually the part that might be a little bit more surprising for me yeah Danny Young I mean we we saw he had some ball security issues and I mean I think we saw what Danny Young's ceiling was and and Mm. it 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 hurts to say that because I like Danny Young I think I like the way he runs the ball uh, but I mean, we all knew Keontae Ingram was going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. I think Kirk Johnson was a guy that I didn't expect to, to see the field outside of special teams. Right. Um, and so it's kind of, it's honestly heartwarming after his ridiculous injury, injury plagued career to see him playing well. You know, the twos Herman talked about the twos not being as consistent. Uh, but I think you mentioned Keontae Ingram. I don't even need him to like six yards a, a carry is Heisman numbers. Like, you sure. give me four and a half yards a carry as a number one back, as a featured back, and that's what we need. Like we, as as a as a organization, as a team, like if your starting running back gets you four ish yards a carry, you're looking at third and two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, and that's I mean, that's huge. You're absolutely right. I just I don't necessarily even with a little extra weight. I don't necessarily love the uh, the the four yards in a cloud of smoke when we have the type of horses we have out on the outside. I think back to a, you know, a foreman type situation where we're, we're such a, you know, we have the ability to stretch out in the passing game so the running backs can, I know it was really the other way around, but kind of the vice versa of that where, um, you know, Sam and Colin and, and the receivers are, are creating where it takes where safeties and linebackers are already two steps in their back pedal and have to come back up and meet Keontae Ingram at five yards down the field before they're going to get any any pad on him. That's what a guy like Kirk Johnson and a guy like Jordan Winnington do for you on, oh, yeah. on a third down. And I think if they can feed Ingram for, again, four or five yards of carry, that's going to draw the defense in. And Colin Johnson's going to get those one-on-one coverages that he basically eats all day, every day. Like there's no, mm-hmm. the only school that I worry about on Texas's schedule next year, covering Colin Johnson one-on-one is LSU. That's right. the only other school that I think even has a, a remote shot of putting a body on Colin Johnson consistently. So I think getting that type of performance out of Keontae Ingram, again, you give me three and a half yards of carry, four yards of carry. And I'm, I'm feeling good about that guy. I just, you know, what I'm excited for is when they do bring in uh, third down Kirk O'Grines and it's, it's Colin Johnson and Kirk uh, muscles. Um, just, just those biceps holding a football where it looks like one of those ones, the cheerleaders throw in the stands, just so tiny uh, and plastic in his, in his biceps and just the Johnson boys doing it. Um, if you, if you haven't followed the team and in the off seasons, uh, Mr. Grinds uh, always seems like the dude and always has some kind of nagging injury or something where he gets moved on the depth chart. So I really, truly hope it sticks. I mean, it's going to be tough to keep Whittington away from the football. Um, but, man, let him eat. 
Let him do it. I, I think that's awesome. I'm, I'm getting that excited feeling I do in the spring whenever I see that dude. I think there's going to be enough footballs to go around, especially um, with, the, I think, the style that Texas is going to try to continue to run, that that spread power offense. You, you have to have a rotation. So the fact that mm-hmm. you'll be able to – I really think that your first two down guys will be Ingram and, and – Johnson and then Whittington comes in on the passing downs. I think mm. uh, as as a receiving Makes threat. Sense. I think if you if you're looking for the receiver in the running back spot, I think if you're looking for the blocker. It's probably uh, the big body Kirk Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy. Uh, I would not want to try to blitz on him. So I think that's that's the that's the interesting thing. Uh, moving on to the new favorite segment, the new hotness, downing the forty, <laughs> where we take you around the forty acres. And look at the sports that don't normally get all of the coverage that football, baseball, and basketball did. So it was a, a disappointing end to a disappointing season for the women's basketball team. They were a seven seed in the women's NCAA tournament, and they were upset by a ten seed Indiana, sixty-nine to sixty-five. So there's a lot of disappointment to go around, and Kyle quickly. This season is kind of marred and characterized by some injuries, some things outside of the control that turned a once promising season to something that would honestly be something that maybe is forgotten in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, they got five games out of their preseason All Big 12 guard. LaShawn Higgs, um, who, you know, really was the, not, not just the scoring impetus, but kind of the, the, the main leader on the team. Uh, we had some people step up. It would have been great uh, to have that entire thing. But, you know, losing her uh, was one thing, but then also never getting anything from incoming freshman, uh, All-American USA U18 player. That's where she got injured playing for the Team USA uh, incoming freshman Sedona Prince, who will be playing next year. Um, I, I think LaShawn Hicks put in a medical red shirt, so they should both be back next year. But, you know, this this ended a uh, a streak of the last four seasons, making it to at least the Sweet 16, won Elite Eight in there. And you kind of hoped that maybe this was supposed to be the year they had a little... Um, had a little bit of experience, you know, had had some pieces where they could have made a run. Obviously, it looked like Baylor is very, very good and was going to be tough to knock off for the Big 12. But, you know, maybe maybe a, a tournament run this year could have been in the cards. But um, it is disappointing nonetheless, even with the talent they had. This this was a was a poor end to it, losing four of their last seven to, to end out the year. So uh, unfortunate for the ladies, but I, I, again, have all the confidence that Coach Jasson has, has some things in, in store getting ready for next year. Yes, they will bounce back. So number eight, men's golf finished seventh at the Valspar Collegiate Championship in Florida. That tournament featured six of the top 10 teams and 10 of the top 25. Our boy freshman Cole Hammer finished with his fourth straight top 10 finish on the women's side. Number two, golf finished second. Sensing a theme here at the Evans Derby in Auburn. That tournament had 10 top 25 teams in it Kyle's probably favorite sport of the moment softball number 10 they opened up big 12 play with a busting out the brooms sweep of Iowa State Kyle's rubbing his hands together in excitement Kyle what's the number up to what's our run rule uh, running total 
Uh, three hundred. No, I mean they are. They are. They're going to break twenty this year, and they're going to do it pretty quickly here. They run ruled Iowa State. They have one run rule out of three games in Big Twelve. The sad thing, even though they swept, or excuse me, eleven to zero in the first game, they did give up a run in the second game, and, and we'll have to see the calculations here. But Shaylin O'Leary, um, who was just named the the Big Twelve Pitcher of the Week, I talked about her last week. She went two and zero. She she got the win. She's still undefeated. She's ten and zero in her career. Um, but she did earn her fourth earned run since stepping on the on the forty acres. That's sixty two point two winnings uh, innings that it, yeah winnings is more like it uh, that it took her to get that. She led the NCAA with a point zero point three eight ERA. Again, we'll have to see that must skyrocket up to almost point five uh, at this point uh, through the season. But the uh, the other thing was they had, they were riding a twenty six over twenty six inning streak of scoreless baseball or softball, excuse me. Um, you know, and, and kept it going. They did give up three runs in three games to. Uh, to Iowa State, but ultimately had a very comfortable weekend opening up the conference, and you hope that you hope that this is a, a, a sign of things to come, and they just they keep it the ball rolling uh, through through the conference. They're twenty nine and six this year in the uh, the White Mike era is as as uh, fantastic as, as promised. Number two, women swimming and diving finished fifth in the nationals this last week. Again, the women are competing every year. The men back in it the nationals are actually this week so the day after you're listening to this on the 27th through the 30th uh there is a lot of talent in the pool for texas we talked about it last week they had to actually make some cuts player they had too many uh swimmers competitors i don't know what the proper term is qualify so they had to make some cuts uh it's going to be an interesting run for this group Oh yeah, I think uh, Townley Haas, the the you know one of the great all time swimmers in the two hundred, especially. Um, this will be his senior year. Um, he's he's won lots of national championships, uh, been nominated. He was a nominee uh, finalist for the James Sullivan AAU Award, which is the best participant in men or women's any sport in college. So uh, legit. And even though they come in number four, uh, they got tons of tons of bodies in the pool this week, um, and. They have just as good a chance as, as any any team in the country to walk away um, with another Eddie Reese National Championship. It'll be good to see. Closing it out, number 18 women's tennis, double the state of Kansas, topping both Kansas State and Kansas State, just taking all of the sunflowers. And number three women's uh, men's tennis just talked about the women's uh beats number 12 columbia before falling to number 15 usc they're 17 and 2 on their winter spring summer season yes it, it is something like that i think it's i think it's uh, winter to spring um but yeah they uh you know they 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 got the state of kansas they they beat columbia fell to usc i feel like there's a there's a center uh, coach center and lawsuit joke in there somewhere but we're gonna again stay above it because we we are gentlemen on this podcast kansas is the sunflower state right I, I that wasn't just a terrible joke no i'm i'm relatively sure i'm not gonna look it up but i i feel pretty confident that that's correct if it's not the sunflower state you know you can tweet us at longhorn pod use the hashtag replies of texas just like our friend anthony meyer i apologize for butchering your last name but i went with the one that seemed right so anthony asked us on twitter uh, any chance that texas goes after chris beard this offseason he was a graduate assistant at texas could be just like football so 
Again, you can get your tweets read and we'll discuss it using the hashtag replies of Texas. So Kyle, I'll, I'll just, I'll just send this over the net to you. Do you see Texas trying to make a move for Chris Beard before his name becomes too hot of a commodity on the national scene? I mean, I, I think, I think Chris Beard is, is a, is a commodity on, on the scene. I think there's going to be multiple teams. UCLA's in that mix. Um, I think Syracuse, I think there's going to be people at the end of the season looking at him, the further tech goes, uh, in this tournament, you know, the, the likelier, uh, it is that, money is going to be thrown his way last year's big 12 coach of the year a very good chance that he could win or at least be in the in the running for that again this year he's a good coach i mean he's a great coach he did uh, his undergrad at ut did his first four years um is a ga at ut i mean he he, he feels it's home and you know there's guys who've started their career at ut who've come back as a head coach a couple years later after you know like having their rum springer elsewhere and it worked out pretty well think about tom herman um, I assume that won't be the last time we use rum spring on this podcast. That was the second time we've used it. And the last <laughs> time I said, it'd be the only time. Uh. <laughs> Fantastic. But you know, when mama calls, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to say no. If Texas makes that decision again, we're, we're speculating a little bit here. We're speculating and saying that a, the Shaka experiment is over. I know a lot of people feel that way. B, that Texas wants to pay the money for the buyout. C, that you know it works out in their favorable way. If this you know rumor is true that they are trying to find kind of a soft landing spot, if you will, find another team willing to take you know take him on, give him a little piece of whatever, um, and, and they take him on and 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 ease that burden of that buyout in whatever way that gentlemen agree to do so. Um, if this you know the stars have to line up for that to happen, we have a new basketball stadium opening or arena opening. Do you try to synchronize a little more with that? Again, if if they make the move, I think Chris Beard is at the top of the list. For me, it's more of, are they going to make the move? Yeah, I mean, Shaka's contract is guaranteed through 2023, which basically, and he's owed 13-8 on that contract. So I don't see, unless the basketball donors have deeper pockets than the football donors, which I don't think is the case, I don't see Texas making this move honestly. And if Texas even sees a, a marginal improvement, I think we probably have another two years of the shock smart experiment. I really do. Cause I, it's still, we're looking at upwards of 10 to $11 million on the line. I think he's got three, four, three, five, and three, six are the 2020, 2021 and 2022 numbers. So that's again, a ton of money. It's like 10. What is that? 10, four, 10, five, for three years, not to coach basketball, plus whatever coaches buy out, they have to pay on right. the other end of that. Right. Yeah, because Beard is guaranteed so, through through what, 2024? Is that Beard's guaranteed through 2024 on a $19 million contract, making a little bit under $3 million a year. I mean, that's a lot of money right there in, in, in buyouts to get a guy that you're then going to pay a couple million and an extended contract to, to hope that you know, the, the, the bogeyman of Texas basketball, that it's always a specter that it looks like a top 10 team. It gets top 10, 15 recruiting talent, and somehow the bottom falls out somewhere. It, it isn't simply a Shaka problem. I mean, if if we all remember how gently we um, asked Rick Barnes to, you know, follow the, the door and not let it hit him on the hiney, um, you know, I, <laughs> we're quick to turn on our basketball coaches and, and demand heads around here. You know, I... I 
I think Beard could be could be a great coach. I just think one stat I remember doing research. I think I was in college writing a story, and it it was one of those actual knock my socks off moments. And and maybe this has changed since then. I haven't looked this up, but I remember. If, few years ago, um, there was a statistic when, when we really got into the business of looking at athletic programs around the country who make the most money, and Texas was up there, whatever. I looked at Duke. Duke makes more revenue, more money for their athletic program from football than they do for basketball. So you have to take that into perspective. Duke has not been a powerhouse in one of those two sports. You have to put in perspective when a very bad football team that is arguably the the standard of, of modern era basketball program makes more money with their mediocre football team, you have to understand some of the how these numbers work. It is not like for like. And so that's kind of the, the pill you have to swallow when you talk about, yeah, just throw $20 million at buying out one coach and, and, and buying out Shaka. The numbers don't necessarily add up. And especially, I, I know it's the NIT, but if Shaka gets a run and shows that his players are going to play for him and that there is still something there, then I think it becomes harder and harder. I, I'm of, I'm of the mindset that I think that the money saves Shaka. I really do. Like, I think if, if money was not the object, I think Shaka Smart would have been shown the door. And yeah. I'm a big Shaka Smart fan. I think Shaka Smart is a great coach. I just think Texas is not the spot for him. I felt the same way about Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong. Right. Great coach, doing okay things at, in South Florida and starting to build some momentum down there. Texas wasn't the spot, and Texas isn't the spot for everybody. Uh, so I, I mean, I understand the sentiment to want it to want to get Shaka out the door because I think there's a lot of talent and not a lot of momentum, and so I just simply think it's a financial decision at this point. You, Del Conte's running the most cash rich program in the country, but you like most rich people will tell you you don't stay rich by spending money that you don't need to. (laughs) And I think that's the, that's the differentiator there. If Shaka is going to be there for one more, if you're confident that your guy's going to be there when that price tag drops three and a half million dollars, then you, you wait a year, you bide your time. You hope it's not too much of a, a frustrating year to watch. And then you save yourself a cumulative like almost six to seven million dollars on buyouts. Exactly, and and like I said, I mean there are teams out there that are looking for coaches. There's already been a carousel. You know, you have uh, Avery Johnson, one of the first pieces falling at at Alabama. You look like it's going to be um, you know Hoiberg maybe going back to Iowa State because the Nebraska coach is open. The carousel is starting. People are moving. I mean, like I said, there's UCLA, there's there's Syracuse, there's some big names. Texas potentially being one of those. Um, but if your guy, if like you said, you're looking across and he's going to cost that much, everyone else knows just how much that buyout costs. And, and there, there is the chance that he's sitting there next year. He's sitting there the year after. Uh, he's got nowhere to go. I mean, he is losing some talent uh, this year off that team that if, if for him personally he decides to make a move with Jarrett Culver, Matt Mooney, and Tariq Owens um, probably gone off that team like – there is that chance that he says, all right, that was it. It was a great run. Those are a lot of my guys. Um, what's next? And if that's the case, that's a different story. But if you're, I'm sure there's some back channel talk. If you get the feeling that this is an option for him and he's willing to wait and he's got a good thing going, I say wait. So that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions 
in all of college athletics. Big Bertha and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Crikey, mate. I've got a good one uh, this week. Um, You know, this started really, I think, mostly as a punting podcast. Um, I, I never really quite got the momentum that I think I joked about on here of of getting the uh, Michael Dixon's jersey and the top 10 NFL jerseys bought last year when preseason he looked to be a monster and then started the season and proved to be a monster. I mean, another word for a monster is he, he really is already looking to be the GOAT. Um, clearly that's not just an Austin thing because there's a local commercial running in Seattle. That'd be Campbell Nissan. That's CampbellNissan.com. Not a sponsor, but they earned our loyalty with this one. They're running a promotion right now. Just a simple buy a Nissan, buy a car, give a goat. Michael Dixon is, is in the ad and I, I can't think that it's a coincidence. Please watch Google this ad for the fantastic acting and editing of local car commercials um but but ultimately if you buy a car they also will give a goat um to a charity that that gives um goats to those impoverished who who could use the uh, effectively it's it's a it's a financial tool if, if you you know follow the microfinance uh trends of the world um it's it's actually pretty cool um it might be one of my favorite pieces of local advertising i've seen in a long time, um, even if it didn't have, you know, a, a beloved piece of our Longhorn lore. So Michael Dixon just continues to win at every facet of life. Um, I, I don't know. Go watch the commercial. And if you're looking for a car and you're in the greater uh, Tacoma, Seattle, uh, north northwestern part of the country, uh, give, it, give Campbell Nissan uh, a look. Yeah, um, that's a weird promotion. Like I, I, I just bought a car and they gave me like a, a car care kit, which was nice. Seemed like a nice, nice bonus for buying a car. They can give me a $30 car care kit. Um, a goat seems like less of a gift and more of a, a burden. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to say that now, granted, I'm not a hip Austinite or Seattle, Seattleite. So what do you call somebody from Seattle? I don't, I don't know. No, no, no. I I think it's the Seattle. No, I don't know what they call them, but uh, uh, <laughs> they uh, they think, I think if I understood, it's thirty seconds. We we should be able to get this. I think if I understood the commercial, they give the goat to a charity that gives it to impoverished parts of the world where truly like the best form with banking and think like rural Bangladesh or something like not, um, not particularly well established. A goat is effectively a, a means of, of income and wealth and, and it helps start a personal economy. So I think, and maybe I'm reading too much into it. I think it's a very charitable gift. Okay. That would make, that would make more sense to me as, as a first generation American, like I get the significance of a goat, just taking you there a goat gives you milk keeps your grass short when it's too old to give you grass you put it in the pot with some curry and some potatoes and it tastes incredible so i get that i get the the uh the power of a goat for a developing area so my bang the drum this week uh i'm gonna it's it's a little off the beaten path um it's on the pathless tathan uh tathan (laughs) martell was given a a hardship waiver by the NCAA. Basically, from everything I've read, it was more of he got on the runoff. Uh, he was ran off from the program, and so they gave him a hardship waiver to be immediately eligible to play for the uh, University of Miami. But it seems like the dominoes are starting to fall, and 
Brew McCoy is is getting more and more good news. We have zero news out of Texas or the Brew McCoy camp on this. But the more waivers get granted, you've got Martell, you've got Fields, you've got all these things happening. It seems like the NCAA is just going into the club and throwing ones up in the air to let everybody get a transfer. Like, that's what it seems like at this point. So I would be shocked if Brew McCoy does not get the waiver that was promised, and he is not Texas's starting slot receiver. I just really think it would be interesting to give Tate Martell a guy who's was committed somewhere, then decommitted, then committed to Ohio State, was fourth on the depth chart. Nobody ran you off. You just sucked. <laughs> Giving that guy a a runoff waiver where you have a guy who signed to a coach, looked him in the face, said, I'll be here, and then decided to be the head coach in the NFL, that, that to me feels more like a waiverable thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, he, his, his waiver wasn't even really that robust. It's basically like, hey, college football is free agency now. Hook me up. Um, I, I, I just, I just want to say that um, not since the Sand Snakes in, in Game of Thrones have uh, a part of, of House Martell been a, a less fulfilling storyline than Tate Martell. God, I hope that guy graduates um, and, and does nothing with his life. Um, I hope Nick Starkle um, comes across him one day in an alley and tells him what he thinks of him. But, I, I mean, I, I actually like Manny Diaz. I'm rooting for him. But I hope they have an entirely, like, running ground game and defense-based offense that doesn't use Tate Martell at all. So he has to be angry again. I want Tate Martell to graduate and play for four teams in five years and not take a single snap. That's how I feel about Tate Martell, but that's neither here nor there. We are not the internet's foremost Tate and Martell hatred podcast, although we probably, if we tried hard enough, could be. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can always, again, use the hashtag replies of Texas, just like our friend uh, did earlier. So we can get you, Anthony. Appreciate you giving us feedback. Again, hashtag replies of Texas. And you can choose an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time. Hook him. As the NIT gathers, my watch begins. Texas NIT champions! <laughs>